Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time just thanking you, Lord, once again for all that you have done. Lord, as we prepare to leave army, may this message draw our eyes to you and to your glorious work in us and through us. Be with me, Lord, as I speak. May my thoughts be clear. And Lord, may our eyes be baptized. May our ears be opened. May our hearts be moved. And may our minds be awed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've entitled this message, The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Beloved, I believe that the, by far, the most talked about sermon in all of eternity. I'm talking about when Jesus comes again and gets his saints and we go back to heaven. The sermon that will be most talk about, talked about throughout all eternity, I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, will be the Sermon on the Mount. And you might say, Pastor, I've, I've read the Sermon on the Mount before, and I don't know, I don't see that perhaps being his most talked about sermon. Even though there's some good principles, many good principles in there, um, the Sermon on the Mount, I've read through that. I mean, not a lot of nice things, but, but the most talked about sermon. So I'd like for you to go with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew 5. And we're going to begin reading from verse 1. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and was set... And his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now pause. Um, I believe that these two verses are some of the most powerful verses in all the Sermon on the Mount. And you're probably saying, Pastor, the Sermon on the Mount hasn't started yet. <laughs> This is just the introduction, and I, and I tell you, this introduction is packed. Um, usually, we run the risk of, you know, Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to shut my mind down because I've read through this already, but you all know better, right? So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little bit unorthodox. We are talking about the Sermon on the Mount, but um, we're just going to skip the Sermon on the Mount for a moment. Is that okay? <laughs> I, I just want to take you through these chapters. So notice with me, you see the letters in red, which means th that is the, those are the words of Jesus. Uh, just, just scan down the page with your eyes and um, scan all the way down to chapter, or to rather verse 48. Okay? All that is the Sermon on the, on the Mount. Now go with me to chapter 6. From chapter 6 all the way down to verse 34, all that is the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Now chapter 7, beginning with verse 1, 
all of chapter 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. So, so Christ spends three chapters here uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to notice how he closes the sermon. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what Christ is doing here is he's saying that there are many who will do what? Say, Lord, Lord, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven because they're not what? They're not doing. Okay? Now, notice how he now wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. He wraps it up. Beginning with verse 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a what? Wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. As... I have suggested to you in previous messages, I believe that whenever we read the scriptures, we should seek to find Christ in what we're reading. Amen? So I want to propose to you at this point, it's an early proposal, but I want to propose to you that the wise man in this parable is none other than Jesus Christ. Let's assume that that is the case for a moment. If Christ is the wise man that built his house upon a rock, then we would ask the question, what is the house that he built? Go with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter Chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Notice what the Bible says here. Wherefore, or you also are lively stones, or as lively stones, are what? Built up a spiritual what? House. So let me ask you, if you are the spiritual house, then who did the building? Are you with me so far? Jesus is the wise man that built his house upon the rock. It says, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So notice something here. The chief cornerstone upon which the house is built is who? Jesus. Let's read on. 
Verse 7, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, and a what? Rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. So notice how Jesus says that the cornerstone upon which the house was built is also known as a rock. A what, everyone? A rock of offense. Christ is the wise man that built his house or the church upon a rock, but he calls it a rock of offense. So let's see, what is that rock of offense that is being spoken of here? Go with me again, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. When you get there, please say amen. The Bible says, but we preach Christ what? Crucified. Unto the Jews, a what, everyone? Stumbling block. What is the stumbling block or the rock of offense? It is Christ what? Crucified. Christ is the wise man that builds his house upon, builds his house. What's the house? His church upon a rock, but it is a rock of offense or stumbling. And that rock of offense or stumbling is what? Christ crucified. Are you with me so far? Go with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, beloved, it is evident here, it will become evident here that Christ is indeed the wise man that builds his house or the church upon the rock, and the rock we're going to see very shortly. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and in verse 15, he says unto them, Whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this what? Rock will I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail against it. Christ is the wise man who builds his house or his church upon a rock. And the rock is Christ and him crucified. But in Matthew 16, we're told that it is the acknowledgement that Christ is the son of God. So our question then becomes, can this be verified? Did Christ actually build his house upon a rock which represents his crucifixion and the acknowledgement that he indeed is the son of God? I want you to turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15 
verse 39. Mark 15, verse 39. When you get there, please say amen. The Bible says, And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he had so cried out, what's happening here? Jesus is about to die. And notice what happens when Jesus dies. When he so saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was who? The son of God. Okay. Christ dies. The very first confession. Is, is anybody with me? The very first confession upon Christ's death is a Roman centurion saying the exact thing Peter said and the exact thing Christ said upon that confession will I build my church. Something amazing about this. What made this Roman centurion Look at Jesus and say, truly this man was the son of God. It was his death. Beloved, do you want people to say of you, truly? Truly this man, this woman is a son of God. A daughter of God. Do you want people to say that about you? Raise your hand if you want people to Guess what you need to do? Die. You see, beloved, this Roman centurion had evidently heard about this Jesus and heard about his works and maybe even heard his words. But it is not until Jesus demonstrated... He didn't just talk... He didn't just say, he did. Are you with me? And it is this confession that causes the Roman soldier to say, truly, this man was the son of God. In the book, Desire of Ages, we read this. In the closing events of the crucifixion day, fresh evidence was given of the fulfillment of prophecy and new witness born to Christ's divinity. When the darkness had lifted from the cross and the Savior's dying cry had been uttered, immediately another voice was heard saying, truly this man was a son of God. These words were said in no whispered tones. All eyes turned to see whence they came. Can you imagine? Are you imagining this? <laughs> Who had spoken? It was a centurion, the Roman soldier. The divine patience of the sufferer and his sudden death with a cry of victory upon his lips had impressed this heathen. In the bruised, broken body hanging upon the cross, the centurion recognized the form of the Son of God and he could not refrain from confessing his faith. You want to be a powerful witness to someone? Die. Die. Have, has anyone ever seen a dead body on the road? Like you're driving past an accident and you see the dead body on the road. Anyone ever? What's over the body? 
a white sheet. Beloved, listen to me. Only the dead get the white covering. Do you want to be covered in Christ's righteousness? Die. Have you ever seen a white sheet covering someone and then you saw this? How many of you would probably drop dead of a heart attack? <laughs> do, you know what, do you know that that's what, when we claim to be Christians, dead, and yet we're moved, the people see the white sheet moving? <laughs> You're scaring people. <laughs> Let's not scare people from Jesus, amen? <laughs> Let's die. <laughs> So, beloved, I want you to notice this then, that the church of Christ is the reason. Christ is the wise man who builds his house upon a rock, and that rock is the crucifixion of Christ. The reason why the church does not fall, beloved, is because it is founded upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But it gets better. Because, beloved, you need to remember, where is it that Christ died? Where was he crucified? Calvary. Do you know what Calvary is? It's a rock. Christ is the wise man. You're going to make me get excited. You have not learned. (laughs) Christ is the wise man that built his house upon a rock. Are you with me now? (laughs) The reason why the church does not fall is because, beloved, it is founded upon Calvary. The uh, Review and Herald, June 7th, 1887, Ellen White says this, He, that is Christ, laid the cornerstone upon the blood-stained rock of Calvary. So, so, so. Christ is a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. That rock is Calvary. That rock is his death. The reason why the church does not fall is because it is founded upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be able to stand in the last days? Beloved, your Christianity better be founded upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Amen? Not only, beloved, though, is the house built upon a rock, meaning Christ's uh, death. Watch this. In John 19, verse 41, John 19, verse 41, the Bible tells us, John 19, verse 41, the Bible says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. Somebody tell me, what is a sepulcher? It's a tomb. What kind of a tomb? A tomb hewn out of rock. Beloved, Christ's church 
is founded upon a rock. It will not fall because the church of Christ is built upon the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. You're going to make me do it. <laughs> Amen. I'll do it. <laughs> Not only, beloved, is a church built upon the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. It is also built upon something else. Go back with me to the book of Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. And um, notice with me verse 18, Matthew 16, verse 18. And you'll remember we read this verse earlier. Uh, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we understand, beloved, that hell represents what? The grave. So we might say, the gates of the grave shall not prevail against it. <laughs> You're going to do it. You're going to make me get excited. Watch, watch. Go with me to Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and verse 65. Matthew 27 verse 65. Uh, Pilate is here speaking because the people have come to him and said, Look, Jesus, that deceiver, said that he would rise again in three days. So they come to Pilate and they say, What are we going to do? So Pilate says, You have a watch. You have a what, everyone? Watch. Go your way and make it as sure as you can. So they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now, this word watch is an interesting word. It's the Greek word custodia from which we get our English word custody. So you know when you arrest someone, you keep them in custody? It's as though they were saying, keep Christ locked in the tomb. But wait, the word means a little bit more because this word watch represents a sentry. It was a Roman guard. Now, what is a sentry? Listen, I've lifted this definition word for word. Listen, a sentry is a guard or watch, especially a soldier standing guard at a point of passage such as a gate. <laughs> a gate. Roman guards standing at a gate. What is the gate? It is the tomb. Now, now remember, beloved, there is a seal that is on this gate. Is that correct? And the seal represents a sign of what? Authority. Now, whose seal was it? It was a Roman seal. But, beloved, hold that thought right there because that Roman seal actually signified the authority of one greater than Rome. Because we know that in the book of Revelation, the Bible speaks of a dragon that opened up his mouth to devour Christ. We know that that dragon, uh, in, in one sense, represents Rome. But who was working through Rome? Satan. So, we might say that that seal... Although it represented Rome, the authority of Rome, in a greater sense, it represented the authority of Satan. Mm -hmm. 
Beloved, it is with great joy that we read Matthew 28. Go there with me if you will. Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. Beloved, the seal was broken. The gates of hell did not prevail against God's church. Wait, 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 wait. We didn't finish the verse. He rolled back the stone from the door and Okay, so let me help you to understand what this sitting represents. I have an older brother. He is 6'9". From what I remember, he was always 6'9". He's about six years older than me. And when I was about 13, you know, and I'm getting into my, you know, like, I'm, you know, don't mess with me. And my brother would always mess with me. So, you know, I'm like, you know, 5'7". You know, and, I, and I'm like, you know, I, he's playing with me and I'm getting mad. And I start crying, I'm going to get you. And so off I go to get him because I'm going to like lay him out. I'm going to just lay him out on the floor. And so off I go and I, there I am swinging. But the only problem is that he has his hand extended and he's laughing <laughs> while I'm crying and swinging and just angry. And he's just like, And then after a while, he would get tired, and he'd just pick me up, and he'd put me on the ground, and then he'd sit on me. (laughs) And there was nothing I could do. He rolled back the stone from the door, and just for good measure, I imagine a cheer erupting in heaven. Like, The gates of hell, beloved, would not prevail against it. Christ's church is built upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. It's interesting. Go back with me quickly, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, you know, immediately after Jesus says, you got it, Peter. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Notice what happens. In verse 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised against the third day. Jesus is simply trying to tell Peter, Hey, you know when I told you that I'm going to build my house upon this rock? He's saying, This is what I mean. I'm going to go and be crucified. Look at what happens. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. You shall not surely die. No way, this is not going to happen to you. 
Far be it from thee. You shall not surely die. And what does, Je- what does Jesus respond? How did he know it was Satan? The serpent in the garden. You don't have to die. You will not surely die. Remember, beloved, the way that Jesus convinced that Roman centurion was that he did not just say, he also did. I will liken him, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and... I will liken him to a wise man that built his house upon the rock. So think with me, beloved, the reason why the church has stood throughout the ages... The floods have come, have they? Revelation 12 tells us of a dragon that let out of his mouth water as a flood during the dark ages. Did the church stand? Yes, because it was built upon a rock. The winds are going to come. Do we read of a time where those four winds are going to be let loose? God's church, don't worry. God's church will what? Stand because it is built upon a rock. And even though, beloved, the fire is going to cause, or the devil is going to cause fire to rain down from heaven, those counterfeit miracles, God's church will stand because it is built upon a rock. The house, beloved, does not fall because it is built upon Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Beloved, do you want to stand in the last days? Make sure that you are built upon Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So, beloved, now that I have given you the introduction to my sermon, <laughs> I want you to go with me to the book of John, chapter 2, verse 19. John, chapter 2, verse 19. Go with me quickly. John, chapter 2, verse 19. You see, beloved, as Jesus is, 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 is speaking, uh, John 2, verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up christ is the one that builds his house or his what temple upon the blood-stained rock of calvary but beloved this opens up something new to us new in our thought in our pattern of thought here it's this When Christ was talking about rebuilding the temple, what comes to your mind? Come on, where else in scripture do we read about the work of rebuilding a temple? (laughs) The book of Daniel. Nehemiah, that whole, that whole story, Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, Artaxerxes, Cyrus, you know, we've gone over it. So, so it seems here that Christ is now invoking this, this, this historical uh, uh, picture of rebuilding the temple and applying it to who? Himself. Something very profound here. I want you to go with me to the book of Daniel very quickly. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. 
Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, you know this is the 70-week prophecy. And this prophecy states this, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in what? Troublous time. We understand from the prophecy that there are four things that need to be rebuilt. That was, number one, the temple. Amen? Number two, the city. Amen? Number three, the street. And number four, the wall. But Jesus takes this, this, this whole historical uh, uh, event of the rebuilding of the temple and he applies it to himself. So my question, beloved, is could it be possible that Jesus himself fulfilled these very things at Calvary? Please, watch with me. When you think about the temple... What comes to mind? God's house or his sanctuary. Where in the temple did God dwell? In the most holy place. Now I'm going I'm to take the liberty to just skip a couple of verses to lay the foundation because I think you're with me and so I can just kind of tell you some things and, and you can get the picture here. So God's throne is the sign of his what? authority. Amen? And, and when in heaven, when Lucifer rebelled against God, he was actually rebelling against God's what? Authority. And as a result, Lucifer was cast out of heaven because he refused to be subject to the throne of God. Are you with me? Now, God creates planet Earth, and, and he puts Adam and Eve on Earth, and Adam and Eve, we know, are under God's what? Dominion or authority. Now, why do we know that? What on Earth or what in the garden was the sign of God's authority? The tree of life. The tree of life. Anyone know what the word Eden means? It means pleasure or paradise. In Revelation 2 verse 7, do you know how the Bible says to him that overcometh, I will give him to eat of the tree of what? Life, which is in the midst of paradise. And paradise, beloved, is God's kingdom, the place of his authority. So get the picture here, please. Don't, don't just, just follow me. Wherever the tree of life is, there is God's what? Kingdom. Are you with me? There is God's authority. Or we might say, wherever God's throne is, there is his kingdom or authority. So, when Adam and Eve sin, mankind has removed themselves from under God's authority. They are barred from the tree of life. 
As a result, we know that when God, when Christ comes to earth, his goal is to set up or to reestablish God's what? Kingdom or authority where? On earth. Are you with me so far? Something else you need to know before we, we begin to put this together. What a picture. Oh, do you like pictures? Are you ready for a picture? Ooh. Listen. Remember, remember in the most holy place we had those, that, uh, who was Lucifer? He was one of the what? Covering cherubs. He stood over the uh, mercy seat and beneath the mercy seat was the ark of the covenant. Remember you had the two angels on either side and one of those angels was against God. That was Lucifer, right? And, and the glory of God was, was found right there hovering above the mercy seat. So, so, so this symbol or this picture is a picture of God's authority. Now when man sinned, listen carefully, when man sinned, what did God curse? He cursed the ground. Why do you think he cursed the ground? Let me help you. Could it be that God was cursing the ground, that the cursed ground became like a symbol of cursed man? Are you with me? The cursed ground became a symbol of cursed man. We became earthy, worldly, if you will. That's why the Bible talks about, you know, how we need to get rid of the thorns out of our hearts. Right? Stony ground. The cursed ground was a symbol of man's corrupt or carnal mind. His mind was no longer under God's authority so when jesus comes he's trying to reestablish or win back man's mind and his heart so how is jesus how is jesus going to reestablish god's kingdom upon earth how is he going to do it it's amazing I might say it's mind-blowing. You see, beloved, Jesus comes and he's preaching to, the gospel, to, to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the disciples are excited because they believe that Jesus is about to set up his kingdom on earth. But then Jesus turns around and says, hey, listen, except the corn of wheat fall into, into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it beareth much fruit. The disciples are going, how can you talk about setting up your kingdom when you're talking about dying? It doesn't make sense. Well, beloved, watch what Christ does. Are you ready for the picture? You may as well just get excited right now. I know you're like, okay, where is he going? You may, you don't do that. <laughs> just, just trust. <laughs> trust the word of God. So, 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 Jesus is now being marched to a hill called Calvary. Does anyone know, anyone know what the word Calvary means? The word, the Greek word is cranion, from which we get our English word, cranium, skull. It is also called Golgotha, which is translated the place of a skull. Now think about it, beloved. That skull-shaped hill 
we might say, came to represent all of the world's hatred against who? God. Why? Because this is where the world said, God, we reject your son. Are you with me? We might say that that hill called Calvary came to represent all the enmity. What word did I use? Enmity against who? God in crucifying his son. Isn't it interesting that the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 says that Christ would come and bruise? The head of the serpent. Watch this. I have a statement I want to read to you. Listen carefully. Review and Herald, June 5, 1900. As his prophetic eyes saw the results of his sacrifice, Christ exclaimed, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. In the place where Satan has his seat, there will I set my cross. Do you know what a seat is? It's a throne. Think about this. In the place where Satan has his seat, there will I set my cross. Question, where did Christ set his cross? At Calvary. So that must mean, beloved, that Satan had his seat at Calvary. But if Calvary comes to represent all that is enmity against God, and we by nature were enmity against God, then could it be that as Christ was, that, that, that as Christ, as Christ who is the seed, was being planted as it were, Could it be, beloved, that Christ, in setting up his cross on Calvary, that was the way in which he would redeem our carnal minds? What did Christ come to do? He came to set, give us a new covenant. What's the new covenant? I will write my law in your heart and in your Mind. So think with me then. Just I want you to see this picture. If Calvary is the hill that represents that human mind that is carnal, that is against God, but God has come to change that carnal mind and to put his law in it, could it be that your mind is to be the new ark of the covenant? Could it be that as we look at that, that hill called Calvary and we see that hill, that skull-shaped hill, could it be that inside that hill, just as God's presence dwelt above the law of God, yeah, I know you had to wait, but... <laughs> So think with me, beloved, if, if we might say that Calvary would come to symbolize, as it were, the Ark of the Covenant, then we need to look for other things to see is our picture accurate. So what we need to look for hovering above the Ark of the Covenant? We need to look for a mercy seat. Anyone know what a sedulum is? 
It's a seat. It's a seat that was put upon the crosses of criminals. So that when the criminal was nailed to the cross, he couldn't just support himself. He just fall off the cross. The nails couldn't hold him up. So they had to build a seat. Christ is sitting Beloved, what I'm trying to say to you is could it be possible that the cross of Christ was his throne? Do you remember what was written above him? King. I'll just stop right there. (laughs) King. Beloved, could it be that the cross is the mercy seat? (laughs) (laughs) Could it be, beloved, that the place that we come to get mercy is right there at that cross? You say, Pastor, I'm still not sure of the picture. Okay, maybe the Ark of the Covenant and, and maybe the cross being his throne. Well, how about this? On either side, On either side, two thieves, one was for him. Do you remember how we said wherever the tree of life is, there is paradise? There is the kingdom of God. Christ on a tree. (laughs) Now I know, I know. The thief on the cross. Jesus, remember when you, when you come into your kingdom. Verily, verily, I say unto you, comma. I got it. I know the thief did not go up to paradise that day. I know. I got, I'm with you. <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, could it be possible that when Jesus said today, Today, right now, this is paradise. Here I am on my throne in my kingdom right now. Okay, you don't believe me. So, do you remember two of the disciples came to Jesus and their mother? Remember that? Remember that? You ready? And, and the mother said, Jesus, I have a favor. And Jesus said, what would you like? And the mother said, grant that my two sons, 
Grant that they will sit on your right hand and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus respond? I don't think you know what you're... Um, I don't know if you're ready for that. Beloved, see, now you can understand why when, when Satan was getting into these, these people and saying to Jesus, come down from the cross, Jesus was saying, come down from the cross. I can't come down from my throne. They were trying to get him to come down from his throne. Can I tell you something? When Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and follow him, he's telling us, I want to give you a seat next to my throne. And he's telling us, as long as you stay on the throne, you are in charge. The devil has no control over you. That's why the devil wants us to come down from the cross. Don't stay crucified. Don't remain up there. Come down. Christ says, as long as you remain on the cross, no matter how much the devil tempts you, no matter how much he, he tries to persuade you, no matter how much he says, come on, let's, uh, hey, you know, don't you want to sip? I have a sermon which I preach, I preach about, you know, being, being of Christ want, wanting to fix us. And I, and I basically tell people, listen, the way Christ fixes us is through crucifixion. It means to be fixed to a cross. So when you are nailed to that cross, and back in the old days when someone said something to you, your hand was out of control. Your tongue said whatever it wanted to say, and your feet wherever, went wherever you wanted to go. But now, when you have been fixed, someone says something, you're like, oh, 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 uh, I would, but... I've been fixed. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the places you used to go, now you can't go because uh, <laughs> I've been fixed. And, and I like doing this one. Uh, your tongue. <laughs> and I got to do this one for the ladies. You know, I'd be, you, you don't tell me. Now then. Mm, 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 mm. You're fixed. So, beloved, get the picture. Christ wants to reproduce this picture of the throne room in every mind. That's why he says the kingdom of God is within you. Christ is the wise man that built his house. Or his temple upon the rock of Calvary. Do you see the picture? Not only did he build a temple, he built the city. We just read that we are now a royal nation. Amen? 
That royal nation, beloved, is none other than spiritual Israel. Its foundation, beloved, is the rock of Calvary. Is that hill? In fact, Christ said, ye are the light of the world. A city. A city set on a hill. That hill is Calvary. It is that hill that reflects the light flowing from Calvary. So Christ, he rebuilds the temple, just like we read in Daniel 9. He rebuilds the city, just like we read in Daniel 9. And what about the street? It is singular. It simply means the path or the way. Beloved, Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 3, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm sorry, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man what? Cometh unto the Father, but by me. He is a wise man who built his house upon the rock. He is a wise man who built his city upon the rock. He is the wise man that established the way at Calvary. You want to know how to be safe? You got to go through the cross. That's why, beloved, the sanctuary points us time and time and time again to the cross of Jesus Christ. And finally, finally, Christ built the temple at Calvary. He built the city at Calvary. He built the street at Calvary. And what was left? The wall. Go with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're getting ready to wrap this up. You do not even realize that we are still talking. I can't even say it. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. You'll remember it is Nehemiah that completed the wall. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, verse 2, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messages unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I'm just saying. I, I, I'm just saying. I cannot come down. I cannot come down. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Beloved, could it be that Nehemiah is a personification, is a symbol at this point in time of none other than Jesus Christ? I am up doing a great work. I am building a wall and I cannot come down. Don't let the devil tell you to come down. 
It's interesting. Look with me in verse 4. Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Four times they tried to get Nehemiah to come down from the wall. Who would like to take a wild guess as to how many times they tried to get Jesus to come down from the cross? Just guess wildly. One through ten. Four times. Those that walked by, the thieves on the cross, the Roman soldiers, and the Pharisees and Sadducees. Four times they tried to get Jesus to come down from his work. You remember this. How long did it take Nehemiah to finish the wall? 52 days. If someone passes out, just pick them up. <laughs> 52 days. Do you know what you get to if you count 52 days from the day Jesus said, I cannot come down, I am doing a great work? Do you know what day you come to in the Bible, uh, somewhere around Axish? <laughs> the day of Pentecost. Ellen White says, the gift of his Holy Spirit, rich, full, and abundant, is to be to his church as an encompassing wall of fire. You, you, no, you didn't, no, you didn't. Okay, I'll, I'll do it again. The gift of his Holy Spirit, rich, full, and abundant, is to be to his church as an encompassing wall of fire, which the powers of hell shall not prevail against. Christian Experiences and Teachings, page 209. 52 days after Christ says, I cannot come down, he completes the work of building the wall or sending the Holy Spirit to be a wall of fire around his church. Beloved, the reason why God's house will not fall is because it has been thoroughly built by a wise man. Upon a rock. Do you understand what this means, beloved? You see, you are the one that he wants to put his kingdom in. You are part of the city. You are the one that he wants to make his street through. And you are the one that he wants to surround with this wall of fire. He is the wise man. And beloved, if he has gone to this extent to protect you, what do you need to fear? What do you need to be afraid of? Amazing grace. So, where were we? Ah, yes, the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Go back with me, Will, if, if you will, to Matthew 5. I think we can finish this up in just two or three minutes. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Two or three minutes, day, four-year principle. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 1. Watch this. 
And seeing the multitudes, he went up. Into a mountain and when he was set, he opened his mouth or rather his disciples, came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Beloved, could it be that the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew in Matthew 5 was simply a preview of the Sermon on the Mount of Calvary. Beloved, very simple. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you will see that everything that Jesus said In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he demonstrated in Matthew 26, 27, and 28. Whosoever heareth, not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but they that do. Whosoever hears and does. We, we don't just want talkers. It's one thing to say in the Sermon on the Mount, if thy enemy smite thee on the cheek, turn and give him the other. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to say, uh, 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 you know, if your enemies uh, uh, curse you, bless them, pray for them, love them that despitefully use you. It's one thing to say that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's another thing to... Demonstrate it. It's one thing to say, if your enemy asks for your cloak, give it to them, even if you have nothing left. It's another thing to do it. Beloved, could it be that the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 was simply a preview of the Sermon on the Mount of Calvary? Ellen White says, hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. I could have just read that sentence from the beginning and then we could have gone home. But I thought it'd be good to maybe expound upon that one sentence. (laughs) Hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. Not Christ preached the gospel. Christ was the gospel. Beloved, Christ is not calling you to preach the gospel. He is calling you to be the gospel. You are the sermon on the mount. Don't 
preach the sermon, be the sermon. Help us, Lord, not to just talk anymore and say, oh, man, Jesus, and all these things. But when it comes down to it, we are like foolish men building our houses on sand, which happens to be little pieces of rock. Don't be sandy. Christ ends by saying this, I will liken him to a wise man. Would you like to be likened? Do you see what Jesus is trying to do? He's trying to liken you or make you like the wise man. Beloved, the greatest sermon that will ever be spoken of in the kingdom of heaven is The Sermon on the Mount. Do you agree with me? I agree. Beloved, I want to make an appeal. Today, you're saying, I have preached the gospel, but I have not been the gospel. Please, again, this is not for everyone. This is very specific. I have preached the gospel. I have not been the gospel. And today you're saying, Lord, make me the sermon on the mount. I'd like to ask you to come forward because I want to pray for you. I have preached the sermon, but I have not been the sermon. I'm tired of being foolish, knowing better, but not doing better. Lord, Prepare me to be a sanctuary. You're you're getting maps and you're, oh, I want to go share this, beloved. Don't just share it. Be it. Be the sanctuary. Be that place where God dwells in the midst of his people. Because, beloved, you know it and I know it. When the temple is fully built and the city is fully restored and the street, all the rubbish is cast out of the streets and the highway is prepared for the Lord and the walls have been totally built, it is then and only then that God will say, all right, the winds can now be let go. Devil, you can come because my city is complete and it is defensed. And the devil will try all that he can to penetrate this Jerusalem which is on earth, this city of God which is on earth, the people of God, and he will fail miserably. It will be seen that God's throne is in the midst of his people. Lord, help me to no longer just preach the gospel. Help me to be the gospel make it so that someone will look at me and say truly truly this man this woman was a child of God heavenly father what an awesome God you are Lord, 
our minds can scarcely contain what we are seeing in the scriptures. What lengths you would go to to redeem us from the authority of Satan. Lord, I guess the best way I can put it is you are my hero. Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to be like that wise man. No longer fools, Lord. We've gone through the book of Proverbs and seen the difference between the wise and the foolish. Lord, you grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. Lord, help us to be like you. Forgive us, Lord, for our foolishness. Me included, Lord. Father, forgive us for claiming to be covered with the white sheet and yet moving underneath it, scaring people away from your church. Fix us, Lord. You said it. You will not suffer the righteous to be moved. Fix us so that we cannot be moved from the cross. So that we will say to the enemy, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. Forgive us, Lord, for our misrepresentations of your character. And make us wise. This is our prayer in the precious, holy, magnificent, and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'd like to ask the army staff to come upon the stage.
This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com. Or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080. That's 805-226-8080. Thank you and God bless.